Hello, welcome to our podcast, Mind Over Matter Talks. We are your hosts. I am S. McPherson, and I am an author of fantasy novels and a self-help handbook. My name is Kai. I'm a musician and creative entrepreneur. And I'm Marcia, inspirational speaker, author, mentor, and mother. And today we thought we'd talk about mental health and if it's still taboo. Mm. Mm. I think it's a great topic and uh, it's something that many of us are speaking about, especially right now. Um, But yeah, let's dive straight in. What are your thoughts, ladies? For me personally, I think that um, having battled with mental health issues myself, um, a few bouts of depression, so definitely had postnatal depression after one of my children and then went on to, yeah, then, but again, I think it was something that was just taboo even then. And so you you just didn't acknowledge that it was a thing. You just Mm. got on with Mm -hmm. it. So um, I didn't really express that with anyone because you just, you you know, that's it. Of course, normal for you to feel a bit down. You've had a baby and just get on with it type of thing. And so I I did eventually um, seek medical advice. But at that point, it was very much just um, here's some tablets, go away, and that will fix the problem. And I didn't take the tablets because I was actually afraid that if I took them, mm. I would then be on this vicious cycle. And so I didn't really deal with it, I suppose. I just kind of hoped that it would all just disappear. Yeah. Um, and then later on, having experienced depression again, I, but again, it not being acknowledged as a mental health issue. No. Can I ask, like, what was the time frame we're talking about? Because obviously, you know, so you have three children, mm-hmm. Marcia, and mm-hmm. was this something that you struggled with here in the UAE originally, or was this um, something in the UK? This was the, the with my first daughter. It was in the UK, ah. and I don't know um, if factors in my life contribute mm-hmm. to that. Like, I'll never really yes. know. Um, you know, because I was a young mother, um, I did have the support of my family, but there were still lots of things going on in my life. So, you know, that could have all contributed to the way I felt as well. Um, yeah. Also, we have, having a child, you know, it's a it's a physical, chemical transition. Well, that's what I that was going to ask. Yeah, right. I was going to ask, is it hormones as well, isn't it? Could be. I think it could yeah. be. Um, you know, You know, there's so many changes that you're not prepared for. Um, mm. and, and coupled with the fact that, you know, the lack of sleep and suddenly, you know, this other human beings relying on you and your life literally has changed overnight. So there's many things to consider. Um, what would you say helped you to identify? How did you know that it was postnatal depression? Did you identify it? Or hindsight. Was it somebody like hindsight. Okay. Hindsight wow. is what made me realize that's what it was. Um, and as I said, I did seek medical help and, and that was kind of raised, but then I didn't want to have that label. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't want to have that label. Stigma. It came back, exactly, and I didn't want that stigma and I believe that's why I didn't take the, the medication and even though I was prescribed the medication, I, I didn't tell anyone. So maybe if I'd mm. spoken to someone, they would have said, well, okay, it's okay to take the medication. It's only going to be for a period of time and then, you know, just to help you mm-hmm. through. But I didn't, I didn't, I was I was embarrassed to talk about it. So that is the problem, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So being a young mum, you didn't want to share that with your 
parents for example or maybe with like a, a close friend you just kind of went through it on your own I went through it on my own and I think a lot of it is because of stigma you know I, I was raised by West Indian parents you know you, you just didn't mm. you didn't talk about things like that um it's something that mm-hmm. people shunned you for you know yes being mentally ill you know I remember growing up laughing at people who had mental health in this because we didn't understand that it's a sickness mm-hmm you know yeah. and 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 so it, it came with these connotations that you know they're, they're odd they're strange people so then I guess by default I then wouldn't want to associate myself with that yeah and say so, yeah you mentioned a couple of good points because I think growing up you know primary school high school I do remember you know if there was you know a strange man of course we were told not to talk to strangers stranger danger Mm -hmm. identifying somebody that was quote-unquote crazy Mm -hmm. whatever that looked like you did kind of shun away from them and and they would kind of be outcasts now looking back of course at the time I was a child so I wouldn't necessarily have had the responsibility to kind of you know ask if something was wrong or you know put myself in danger but I do think that over time you know looking back we spend so much time looking after our bodies and you know how we how we look physically and and perhaps how we are on the inside but we don't maybe take enough attention to the other parts of health which is our mental health because it can sharpen so many different variations and by people shunning people out of the community or out of the household it doesn't get identified and you said Marcia in in like the West Indian household it's absolutely a thing like Mm -hmm. we don't talk about it enough in the West Indian Caribbean you know society and backgrounds and it's just it's a shame I think it is getting better but specifically with West Indians I just think it's still a huge thing yeah huge huge stigma but that's why now as well in the media they're really focusing on representation and representation matters but not just of race but of mental disabilities etc etc because Mm. people view it so wrongly and then Mm -hmm. it just continues and perpetuates the stigma that it's not right and there's something wrong and you know you're broken and you're damaged and actually no it's it's a growing thing that lots of people right. and probably everyone in their life experiences and they definitely. need help yeah and I mean I, I, I would I would definitely echo that because out of my three children two of them have also experienced mental health issues um wow, really? some depression and some anxiety but the difference was they shared that with me exactly and how um, old are your children uh 24 17 and 16 okay Okay. And mm-hmm. so just things like exam stress, university exactly. stress, um, managing life away from home, these can bring on, you know, feelings of anxiety, which is actually a yeah. mental health issue. A hundred percent. And also what we see and you know experience in our lives growing up, it all stays in the mind and your mind brings back those times, you know, and it could be something unrelated, but you'll link it back to a time in your childhood and be like, oh my gosh, the worst is about to happen. And that's exactly. anxiety and that's your association in your mind. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I remember at sort of teenage years, I had a friend who I think classed herself as bipolar. Uh, she had mm-hmm. gotten some help and, you know, did have some things to deal with. And again, with it being such a stigma, we're still friends today. We don't speak as often, but just not knowing how to help is mm-hmm. also another part of it. Because once you do know, you know, when you've got peers or 
family who were not supportive, you know, I just remember at that time feeling really, really helpless because if that person is going through something that you literally can't describe, you don't mm-hmm. know what they're going through, you can't put yourself in their shoes, mm-hmm. they're also struggling to describe it to you. It's like, you know, they're kind of casting themselves out and, and you can't get to them as well. So I think, of course, you have to tread really, really carefully to try to assist. Yeah. But, you know, again, I feel a bit ho- helpless still saying, you know, that was teenage years and I still don't know what the answer is now yeah um but definitely I think talking about it just is is helping me to reflect so much more and I think reaching out to people just to ask them are you okay you know how can I help yeah is probably one of the best things and uh encouraging them that they can go to get professional advice if they need it exactly because you don't want to give the wrong advice and you don't want to appear insensitive and you know you'd rather just be the ear to listen to what they have to Mm -hmm. say and just someone for them to express their feelings and maybe they'll come to their own conclusions or maybe yes you can guide them to someone who can possibly help them get through it yeah right and that's the thing have you have any of you if you don't mind uh disclosing have you ever had professional help in terms of counseling yes or I have really mm-hmm. I would I would okay. say yes but it was rubbish but it wasn't good oh my gosh yeah yeah <laughs> I, I've had um I've had uh probably when I as during the stage of my um post-natural depression um part of the diagnosis included some counseling um and I've also had counseling therapy much later in life so within the last three years so you just decided to do that that wasn't necessarily something prescribed um no I would say that each time it was because I was sick and tired of being sick and tired I I you know kind of had reached rock bottom and definitely in the later stage I was I, I was living with my children and I didn't want them to see me like that so I knew that I had to do something about it that's so I yeah so I I sought professional help um and actually it was really useful because what it did was highlight things I couldn't see myself Mm -hmm. so sometimes you need that external person to look at it from an objective standpoint yeah you're in it so you don't you can't see um so that was really really I I would really recommend that because you know we've raised some very valuable points that it's good to talk but sometimes talking to the people closest to you can be the hardest thing to do yes yes and they don't necessarily see it they're they're in it with you sometimes so they don't see right way out either yeah and and there's that fear of feeling judged and also the Mm -hmm. pressure that for them as you've pointed out Shalina that they don't necessarily know what to say yeah Yeah. Yeah, and then they don't make it better. Yeah. Right. For me, it was when I was younger, um, after my sister passed away, my parents, bless them, thought it would be a good idea to do grief counselling. But I found, and I think probably works differently for different people, but for me, it just felt like we were dwelling on it. And I, I didn't come away feeling any better. And I just was like, what what was the point of that? I'm just reiterating the fact that you know she's gone which I'm already very aware of it wasn't helpful at all but then a few years later my friend has done therapy and also grief counseling and she said the same thing she felt like the grief counseling 
just dwelled on it. However, she thought the therapy was amazing. She came away exactly as you said, Marcia, thinking in a different way and seeing things in a different light and analyzing um, areas that she had to work on that she wasn't aware of. So I think it depends on the type of counseling you do. Um, Definitely. Yeah, that that helps. Definitely. I would agree with that. Well, that's the thing. I think sometimes people just say like the absolute worst things and, yeah. you know, like, oh, get over it or, mm. you know, just pack exactly. yourself up. It's like, if it was that easy, yeah. I would have done, I done it. Do it. <laughs> I, I, I done definitely it. faced that when I was depressed, you know, friends obviously got tired of me being the same way and they would say to me, you just, just get, put yourself out of it. Oh. I, and as you say, you know, Kai, if it was that easy, I would have just done that. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't make no how. No. In yeah. fact, it made me feel worse. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's it. I remember there were times when I was younger, I just, I just didn't know what was wrong. I think now it was more to do with I wasn't following my purpose and yes. just having this void just feel like this huge weight on my shoulders because I'm just like is this it literally so Mm -hmm. we're gonna wake up we're gonna do this we're gonna repeat it again and everyone else seemed to be having like honestly so much fun and everything was all figured out or they Mm -hmm. just were happy to be aimless and I was just like like seriously so I would have these honestly these phases you know of being really high and everything was all great and then it would get to literally I think at the same time every year maybe sort of like May June kind of time and I would hit this absolute kind of daunting low of just, yeah. I just don't know what was wrong. And, you know, every year when it would happen, you know, it'd be like, oh, but I've got this great job and I've, I've done this and I've done that. But what is wrong? And I just couldn't describe it. And so feeling like that, I didn't really have the courage to go to counselling because I thought they're going to also ask me what's wrong. I'm going to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't just pull gonna... myself out of it. Yeah. And, you know, today I feel great. I wake up and I have breakfast and I'm talking to my friends and I'm like, hey guys. And the next day it's just, I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out, you know? So yeah. I, just, I felt like I was going to be like, not embarrassed, but just, it was going to be a pointless exercise paying God knows whatever the cost is of counseling. Cause I never really, I thought about it, but I didn't really research it enough to say, right, I'm going to go check out this one in, you know, West London or, you know, wherever. I just, I toyed with the idea and then just thought it was the shame. It was the stigma. It was sitting in front of a Mm -hmm, mm counsellor and them saying, so what is the problem? And then, you know, (laughs) writing on a piece of paper and I'm like, I don't know for an hour. So I just didn't do it. I just didn't do it. And I I think maybe if I did at that time throughout my teens, throughout my 20s, you know, even when you're young as well, you feel like, you know, I've got everything to be happy for. So maybe I should just be grateful. But when you don't have the answers, it's hard to figure it out on your own. So. Of course it is. And that's exactly why so many people struggle. Um, you know, I can definitely identify what you've just said. Um, you know, being an expat, moving out here, a yes. lot of things were difficult for me. You know, I my whole life changed. I'd given up who I was and came here and started a new life and you know and all of those things I had my children but from the outside for everybody else they saw this perfect life of course Mm -hmm. so I felt like I could never ever say but I just don't feel 100% happy Mm. yeah the guilt Mm. that plagued me to say that because what do you mean what do you mean yeah you've got this and you've got and that's exactly what happened. Oh, yeah. So I that I then spiraled into. You can see how then I spiraled into this deep depression because 
I just felt like I couldn't I couldn't say anything to anyone because that's literally what they were telling me. But you're ungrateful, and you know, do you know how many people want to be in your shoes? And yeah, do you know how many people want to live your your life? And and so then you start to question yourself. Well, I'm such a know, horrible person. Being ungrateful. Yeah. I'm such a horrible person yeah. because you know what more do I want? And and the, 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 it just became you know a deep a, a deeper and deeper hole. Mm. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. You know, I think it's so interesting what you said because both of you have been here. For those of you listening. 20 years plus and for me moving to the UAE being in Dubai being in the Middle East sometimes I remember when I first got here and my cousin and I went on a boat trip and I was like we're in the middle of the freaking sea (laughs) in the middle of the Middle East (laughs) this is crazy but that was just three and a bit years ago for me so for you two you know obviously at different stages in your lives coming to a new country Mm -hmm. where there was sand yeah, there was sand and a few buildings <laughs> and seeing what it's it's become. I can't imagine even trying to describe that to people back home. Yeah. Compared to what I try to describe now. Like, oh, why don't you just walk to the shops? Why don't you just go down to the post office? Uh, it's not as easy as that. It's not London, <laughs> you know. No. So trying to explain those differences. But, you know, for the two of you, you have been able to, I suppose, develop and grow immensely because of that and stay so robust but yeah. you've come out at the other end so definitely like, come out the other end yeah definitely. what um, was it like trying to even describe those times back then the, the fact of the matter is and I don't know if Shalina yeah. um can resonate but people just didn't understand you, you know they, they can't understand a world <laughs> that they don't live in you know and they see it from a holiday perspective mm-hmm. they come yeah. for three weeks and of course, you know, for all intents and purposes, I have a good life, but it's yeah. the emotional, mental trauma yeah. that that yeah. caused, you know, you think it's going to be X way, but when you get here, the actuality of that is something very, very different. Yes. So in my case, I was 26. I had one child. I was married. Mm-hmm. And... My husband went to work. My daughter went to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I literally had nothing to do. Yeah. yeah. For some people, it's like, you know, well, you've got nothing to do, so you should be happy. But exactly. Actually, if you want to be active and busy, right. now, now what? Yeah, and progressing. Yeah. Now, especially when I was active and busy before. I had a job. I had a life. I had friends. I had family. I had independence. So there was all of these factors now that I mm-hmm. thought in theory were going to be great. Oh yeah, we'll have to work and I will have, but it was difficult for me. Yeah. I, you know, mm. I physically was now 100% dependent on someone else um, mm. for my happiness. Yes. So, you know, then there was a lot of pressure that I put on my husband to, mm-hmm. to provide my happiness. Yes. Mm. Rather than getting it from within. Which, right. Yeah, but I, but I wasn't able to do that because, you know, it's, at that point, we, he was the reason I, in my mind, that I was here, right? You made me come here. Yeah. So, Your therefore, you need to make me happy. <laughs> <laughs> I came out when I was much younger. So, for me, it was a different sort of adjustment. When I came out, obviously, I'd gone from having friends to having no friends except my sister. And um, when we first moved out, it was just my dad working and um, we didn't have money to go to school. So again, very isolated. And then when I did go to school, I had friends, but none of my friends looked like me. And my entire 
life of school, I think I had two black friends and they were both boys. I never had, I was the only black girl in school besides my sister for 15 years or whatever it was. Yeah. So that was a real adjustment. And that's kind of, as I grew up and became a teenager that I was like, well, there's nothing wrong with my hair and there's nothing wrong with this. But growing up, I was like, no, I want hair like hers. And, you know, I want to do this like hers and like hers, like hers, like, like my friends, because that's what they do. But I wasn't the same. So that was a real adjustment. And I think that definitely took some, um, well, yeah, adjusting. (laughs) It took some adjusting to and mental alignment to see that I was different, but I was still okay. Yes. Yeah. I think my daughter, my elder daughter experienced, I actually witnessed that. I actually witnessed her being um, accosted in the playground, shouted at because the colour of her skin, mm. um, you know, and that as a mother, that, that was difficult because, you know, what do you do, rush in and try and save the day? Or do you mm. allow her to fight for, fend for herself and stand up for herself? And, um, you know, that's always something that I, mm, yes. am I doing the right thing? Um, but um, she did stand up for herself. Oh, good. Um, and I did eventually um, speak to the parent about it, but definitely back then mm-hmm. you know there were very few people of color 100%. should i say mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. you know you you we, there were f- few and far between us and and so when you did meet another person of color you know you kind of just congregated together yeah <laughs> definitely literally that's what it was <laughs> so you've started to build your own families in inverted commas because yeah. you don't have that thing about being an expat you don't have your family. So I think that the friendships that you have are very, very different to the ones that you develop in your home country. Yeah. Because they're much more yeah. intense. That is so true yes. as well. Yeah. I've made some amazing connections and friendships, but I just think, wow, back in London, I, I mean, I do actually have a very diverse set of friends mm. and from all different walks of life, but it's it's not comparable to what you get here because there's just such a mix of people from different Asian countries, different African countries, mm-hmm. different places in Europe. Um, and it's it's beautiful to see, but you definitely do have different dynamics because of, of where we are in the Middle East. 100%. So, um, so ladies, so- I mean, with the the span of the 20 plus years that you've been here, how do you think it's changed now in terms of your mental health and what people are talking about? Have you seen a massive shift or maybe a little one? Uh, yeah, I know like when I was growing up, there was quite a few um, um, disabled or should I say, um, uh, what's it, people of determination and they were not made accessible into buildings. You know, ramps wasn't really a thing. They kind of stayed home seen and not heard people didn't talk about it and you know you'd hear through the grapevine that so-and-so has a brother that's got this condition or whatever it was and you'd be like oh really and how are they taking care of and oh we're trying electric shock therapy and you know this is like you know 25 years ago you'd be like what yeah it was definitely the done thing to be cured from your you know your curse and or whatever it was you know yeah it definitely wasn't seen as you need help no and um, I don't know, well, again, for the listeners, um, last year, it was last year that we had the Special Olympics. That was an amazing transformation for me mm-hmm. even, um, seeing all these people of determination from all over the world just speaking and saying that we don't want to be different. We don't want to be treated differently. Exactly. We, we can do things just like you and just give us the chance exactly and that was such a beautiful experience to be part of 
um, you know, and just give them the chance. They are able. They are able. Yeah. But we need to stop putting our perception yeah. of them onto them. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Do you know what I learned? Um, I learned sign language when I was in the UK. Oh, me too. Language, which is different to American sign language. Yeah, it was a course online. Oh, we should we should sign in together. Um, I was actually taught by a deaf teacher, which is the way that it's done, and um, apart from online, oh, brilliant. Um, and it was such a different experience because you know, as you said we often put our expectations on you know the mm-hmm. others and of course in the deaf world there is the deaf world and then there is the hearing world and the hearing world of course we rely on things uh, visually we rely on things that are um what mm-hmm. we hear we've got taste touch smell etc of course somebody who is unable to hear doesn't necessarily have something wrong with them and i think that's a, a, a thing that has definitely been a stigma in in british yeah. culture um and, and and actually learning about that, it was, you know, people using words like, you know, people being deaf and dumb. Yeah. Deaf and dumb is, is not a thing that goes in the same sentence, you yeah. know. So um, stuff like that, even in medical terms, how they describe people who, you know, have, you know, hearing loss and stuff mm-hmm. like that. It was quite an eye opener because uh, people who don't have hearing actually don't think they have a disability. Exactly. They actually feel like they've got more abilities, especially my teacher at the time because she had a heightened sense of feeling and touch and mm-hmm. vibrations and that is again a, another way of communicating because if you think about it if you can't hear something in a, in a loud place for example but you can see and you can communicate mm-hmm. visually that is a skill that of course hearing people do not have um <laughs> being able to you know rely on vibrations or just other senses that are heightened you know the stuff that we see in i suppose superhero yeah. movies sounds like it's like oh whoa this incredible thing but actually if you do have one of your senses removed you know taken away from you everything else is heightened and it's a strength in their in their um in their world. so it was beautiful to kind of know that and and again just applying that to every walk of life if we're looking at mental health and how we see people and 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 the kind of things that we project onto them um we just need to be kinder to each other and yeah, kinder to definitely. ourselves exactly definitely you know and just see it from another perspective just because it's the way that we have something in our culture is not necessarily something that will be in their culture you know Um, it was such a great eye-opener doing British Sign Language I actually think everyone should learn it because there are many scenarios that we could use it in whether we can hear or not so it's a great tool and speaking of which have you ever tried Um, to read Braille it's a bumpy that is is, amazing it is a skill I I could not get my head around it at all but these are people that cannot see and they are reading through touch and I'm just like what this is a bunch of dots I'm trying my best it's not (laughs) happening what does this say yeah it's a skill and that again is something that they have learned to do which is an advanced skill that I can't do (laughs) because in some ways it's a coping mechanism as well isn't it because they don't have that um you know safety net of of being able to see Mm. as we do and that so therefore they got to find an alternative that that um doesn't hinder them from experiencing you know words as we would I suppose so 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 they just develop a whole different set of strengths really 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, I I used to know um, a young man called gen- uh, <laughs> gentleman, a young gentleman called Daniel. Um, I used to go to this place called De- uh, Clapham Deaf Club, and uh, he would come there. It was every Wednesday. There'd be like a community gathering where people would come and play games and cards, and everyone in there had different. Oh, brilliant! Hearing. So I'd go there to practice my hearing, but he was, Daniel was um, deaf and also wow. blind. So he couldn't communicate with people who were hearing, obviously, in mm. talking. He couldn't communicate with the people who were deaf by normal yeah. sign language or had different levels of hearing from sign language. So he did use Braille, of course, because that's what he learned. Um, but also there is a slightly altered uh, sign language for people who can't hear or see. Because, of course, if you were signing with somebody who yeah. looks at you, you know, you'd have to do certain things. But I'd have to literally hold his hand and spell things out and draw them what? on his hand to communicate. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't just me. There were quite a few other people that would obviously, you know, interact with him at the um, community club and stuff like that. And it was it was beautiful to see because everyone's, you know, got individual things that aren't mm. visual. Um, but you know, if you can learn to work with it and embrace it and everyone can celebrate it with you, you know, and, and learn ways to communicate. That is incredible. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And, and that just kind of. I haven't thought of him in such a long time. Yeah. I mean, I love that because that that removes that stigma again, that, you know, we can't communicate with that person because they've got this. Yeah, because he's socialised. He'd be up and down. People pick him up and drop him off. And again, it is different because you're not having a a vocal conversation with him. Do you know what I mean? But he was up and about, busy and active, mate. So So in terms of responding to you, would he also write on your skin or how did that go? Yeah, so he... (laughs) He would talk back to me, obviously spelling oh, words wow. in my hand, but again, my receptive yeah. skills. That's the thing. When you learn a language, it's, it's all about the two-way yeah. communication. So speaking it is one thing, but receiving it is another. So he would spell things back to me, but it would take me <laughs> such a long time because, of course, it was different to the normal um, sign alphabet. Um, and I mean, I would get it, but he'd have to just yeah. go really slow. So it would mean talking to me <laughs> <laughs> would take triple the time um, than it would you know probably talking to someone else who can sign a bit faster and you know I mean I guess like reading books if you're just in your own world reading a book Mm. with braille you're not disturbed by people who are constantly tapping you going can I say this to you can you 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 know because obviously each time you do that he'd put his hand out put his uh, I think he was right-handed so he put his right hand out and then you you know communicate on his right hand so other times it's just like leave me alone man I'm busy I'm reading (laughs) (laughs) doing something so um what kind of role do you think social media plays in all of this? Because on the one hand, I think it's beautiful right now. Uh, we're kind of like in this whole <laughs> self-love uh, phase, which is beautiful. And I love that everyone is is taking it on in different ways. But I think social media in the last five years for sure has played a role in mental health, especially mm-hmm. for young people. So I wondered what you guys think of that. Yeah, I think... Do you think um, it's played a positive role or, or...? Sadly, I don't think it has at all. Um, it's beautiful to see the wave and the movement that is going on now and for all of us to have our individual aha moments and realisations. But I think everyone's gone through something in their you know, childhood and teenage years and university or whatever. But in terms of... Having social media, I think, as beautiful as it is to connect with people all around the world for free, it kind of, if it's not used in the right way, and if you don't consume it in the right way and have barriers, 
it can be something that you become dependent on and you absolutely look and get you know consumed into the fact of this is what this person's doing this is how this person looks this is the way it should look you know growing up I had afro hair and then it was relaxed and again that was nothing to do with social media because we just wanted Mm -hmm. to be in and have straight manageable hair that we thought was a great European standard you know it was more presentable quote unquote so I think social media thank god wasn't around Mm -hmm. at that time because I dread to think what insecurities I probably would have embraced Mm -hmm. in my teens because I would have wanted to look like the girls on Instagram or the girls on Twitter or the girls on Facebook so now I only, you know, can imagine what young people specifically, not only young people, because I think it affects yeah. everyone in different ways, but, you know, I think young people who are a sponge soaking up everything, if they don't have the right influences around them, they will just consume and absorb everything and there's no filter. So, yeah, I think it's damaged a lot of people because they do it for the money, yeah. you know, they do it for the likes, they do yeah. it for the clout, you know, especially if you're trying to work and earn from it now um, as a respectable professional or whatever it may be, you kind of want that clout to get paid, yeah. you know, and I think it's such a huge yeah. shame. A lot of us have better logic than that, but it's the pressure of society, isn't it? Not just our mm-hmm. friends at school, but having that social pressure. I mean, Marcia, if you had that when you came 20 years ago, the pressures would have been even greater for you because everyone's going to be like, well, on Instagram, you look happy. <laughs> well, well, I think, to be honest, that was part of the issue. But also, I think, you know, when I grew up, there was no social media and the pressure was still there. I still yeah. tried to conform to certain standards. I still wanted to fit in. Um, I still mm-hmm. think that, you know, it was the case. And yes, still is very much the case. And I do echo your thoughts on, you know, if they don't, if children don't have a certain standard or or um, framework to support them in knowing who they are and being comfortable with who they are, um, that could have a detrimental mm-hmm. effect for sure. However, yes, I, one of the reasons I actually disliked Facebook was for that very reason because of course I I would only post things you know my family my you know what I was doing in my life and of course people took that to their advantage so I could never possibly be unhappy or have a bad day because you know I was at brunch on Friday and you know I always wore nice clothes (laughs) and uh, you know I had my children always looked happy and but that's just not reality Mm -hmm. is it it's not the funny and why would I put a picture of me crying yeah, exactly. on, on Facebook why yeah. would I do that I think for me the funny thing is had I had social media I might have not developed some insecurities that I did because I would have seen other people like me represented whereas here as we said exactly. you know I was very much yeah. trying to fit in with my mm. Arab friends and my Indian friends and my white friends and yes yeah, so I, I saw right. what was in front of me and I didn't have knowledge that there was other people like me living life a different way and I could live like them so I think it's like two sides of the same coin and there's positives and negatives to both yeah yeah on both sides yeah definitely I think now as well it also helps with the for instance as I was saying before the representation matters that's now like a hashtag you know what I mean and diversity matters and I think people doing that sort of stuff is sharing with other parts of the world that aren't don't see outside of their culture it's showing them a different a different side of it which is a great positive thing but of course then you get those horrible people that comment and these horrible comments that break someone's psyche down and you know 
make them depressed. So it's, right. yeah, it's two sides, I'd say. Yeah, I would agree. But do you think that it's good? So you mentioned about, you know, maybe not showing that you were unhappy on Facebook or anything. And I, and I think actually at the moment, there's a good progression of people mm-hmm. being more mm-hmm. real and yes. authentic. Yes. If they've had a good day, bad day, yes. sharing like something that happened and, and giving insight and inspiration. So, so that's great. But equally, I think, you know, there is the extremes of the scale because whilst I think it's good to be real and raw and open up, I've actually, you know, seen Tyrese, for example, who was going through some personal stuff with mm-hmm. uh, the mother of his child mm-hmm. and his daughter. Mm-hmm. And he took to Instagram mm-hmm. to have this kind of emotional breakdown which some people Mm. laughed at some people you know were just like why is he on social media Mm -hmm. um but because we've become accustomed to seeing everybody's life you know what they're eating Mm -hmm. what's for breakfast Mm -hmm. you know the swimming the holidays the the backstage and everything you know some people argued well that is the place where he would air it because he's connected Mm -hmm. with fans and he's showing that men cry and you know there were so many levels to that but I just again I think it's also still a dangerous place to be because if you haven't process where your mind is at yet when you're just showing that to everyone raw everyone's then got an opinion do you know what I mean and if you're not ready for what comes after Mm -hmm. you're now dealing with the actual thing and then which was exactly exactly especially (laughs) for men I think it's so so tricky Mm -hmm. for men to express themselves and how they feel and I'm not saying he was wrong for going on there no we're not I'm just saying Mm. in going on there are so many other things that come along with that do you know what I mean and I think men they just have it hard with mental health why do you think that is I mean like growing up obviously we we were around our fathers Mm -hmm. and I mean my dad he never spoke about anything um and I think that was a cultural thing um Mm -hmm. and also Mm -hmm. the fact that he Mm -hmm. was a male um and I've worked very hard with my son to ensure that he isn't like that that he can express himself um you know I don't tell my son he can't cry you know you've got a man up you shouldn't cry no if if that's what you feel that's what you do then yeah do it um that's, that's what you it. do because I want you to be in touch with your emotions and I don't want you to um feel that you can't be a certain way you're the man that's yeah. what men do right um so do you think that that those kind Stigmas. of preconceived yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, affect men's mental health. 100%. It's mm-hmm. it's ingrained. Like, if a little girl falls, Princess. it's like, oh, honey, yes. come, what's wrong? Let's kiss it better. <laughs> and a boy falls, and it's just like, On your feet. oh, what's the matter? Okay, here's a whip. <laughs> yeah, get cry. out. <laughs> boys don't cry. Okay, yeah. stop it now. Okay? I'm you're you're the hunter. Yeah, so like, from what? very young... They're, they're, they're told they yeah. can't they're told they're, they're the hunter they're the provider yeah. they don't have time for emotions they need to be out yeah. there win 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 caveman you know that's the primitive age and that's kind of the mindset that's perpetuated and the princess needs to lie in the bed and wait for a prince to kiss her awake you know that's that's kind of where it comes from yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> so they're bless them you know they're trying to manage their emotions and you know be everything for everyone and it's tricky it's tricky for them because they have no one to talk to about it no because again, they they, I remember hearing a story from a friend where his um, father had um, lost uh, mm. his mother, and um, they were coming back from the funeral, and you know his aunt got out the car, and his uh, his grandmother mm. got out the car, and then he said he saw his dad just mm. break down, 
Um, and he asked his dad, you know, what, you know, why didn't you, why were you not crying before? And he said, because, you know, nobody, uh, nobody can see, you know, see me crying. You know, I've got to hold it together because I've got to be strong for everybody else. Um, and that, can yeah. you imagine you're carrying, you've you lost carry. your mother and you're carrying this, this heavy, you can't mm. let it go because you feel you've got to be, you know, uh, a stage yeah, for everyone else. Yeah, a face of strength. Um, to carry everyone yeah. else. Yeah. And it, it's a lot, you know, and, and I think we need to be more mm-hmm. aware. Well, I speak for myself as a woman. Um, I definitely have been mm. guilty of that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, projecting what I believed should a man be. mm. should be like. Um, and, you know, it has devastating impact mm. on your relationships, on um, your interaction, because, of course, it then, in a way, makes them feel like less of a man. Quote, yeah. unquote, man. Yep, 100%. It is, yeah, it's a terrible yeah. pressure. I've got a cousin who, who cries often, actually, a male cousin, mm-hmm. older as well, mm-hmm. and... You know, I fully respect him. It's great. But the first time it actually happened, we had been told the news Well, that I saw it personally. We'd been told the news that my aunt um, could no longer have treatment for her illness. And of course, we were all like, what do you mean? Like, no, it's fine. You know, of course, she'd been living with this condition for a while. And when we turned and saw him crying, for me, that was the absolute thing that set me off because yeah. I think if I saw some of the other girls crying, I probably would have been like, oh, babe, you know, come here, mm. hug me, or whatever the case may be, because we were all trying to figure it out. Like, mm. sorry, what did you say? Mm-hmm. Um, but in seeing him break down, whether he was strong and holding it in and then just broke or whether he mm. was quote-unquote weak, mm. the fact that he actually shed a tear, I mean, it was beautiful for me because I had never seen that before. And he's like my older cousin, mm-hmm. so growing up, laughing, playing, you know, all of that stuff. In seeing him express in that moment, I mean, I don't know if it was because it was that auntie or whatever. It was devastating for everyone. But, you know, we were all holding Mm -hmm. it together and he just broke, you know. So I've seen him cry several times since then. And I think it is one of the most therapeutic things you can do anyway. And so for men, in seeing them cry, whether it's once a week, once a month, once a year, Mm -hmm. letting it out and just doing it in public I mean you don't have to do it in public but for me seeing my cousin just, just yeah no shame he was no shame himself you know but it shocked me but yeah it, it made me even look at myself like you said Marcia and think gosh like have I made it easy for mm. maybe a partner of mine's in the past or perhaps my dad or anybody who's wanted to cry because I can, I can probably count on one hand mm. the amount of men I've seen cry and I thought have I made it easy for them to do that you know and and absolutely I mean that was family so we do stick together and we we you know get through it and stuff like that but I just think with other people around you men or women mm-hmm. children or adults we we kind of need to make it easy for people Agreed. to express yeah. how they feel absolutely Definitely. all right ladies I think um, this has been a great chat it has 100 percent. some great gems to last me through the day and, <laughs> yeah, and beyond yeah, and beyond <laughs> So do any of you have anything you want to share, some parting words of wisdom? <laughs> Go, Marcia. Yeah, um, I think, you know, and please, ladies, you know, just let me know if you agree. But um, I think it's fair to say that in all that we've shared today, that, you know, sh- expressing and sharing our problems with someone else certainly helps. And so it would be great to leave our listeners with a small mm-hmm. quote, one of our favourite quotes. 
which is a problem yes. shared is a problem. Indeed. 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 Yeah. Indeed. Got to talk about things. Ooh, it. Share it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Excellent. Well, you can find us online. Uh, all of our details are in the bio. So uh, we yes. Thanks so much for again. joining us. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.